Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. For listeners who have been tuning in regularly, you've probably noticed I've got this little spiel off the top where I'm asking people to go over to YouTube. I have a channel over there, Life As A, dot, dot. And basically, it's just highlights from the main audio versions, from the podcast versions of these talks that I have with these great guests. And the reason I'm plugging it so hard is that I think this content really does matter. And I want to get it in front of people. I want to get in front of youth, people that are still undecided, who just don't know what they want to do with their lives. And I think this platform, you know, One YouTube, offers that opportunity kind of get up close and personal with some of these guests in a different format. And if you're just not into audio, if you're not into podcasting as a whole, that's fine. That's okay. Well, you can still digest the content in a different way. I would encourage you, if you do know somebody who's looking for that career, looking for some ideas, direct them over to lifeasa.dot over on YouTube. You know, if they're into videos, they might just find what they're looking for over there. And while you are there, hey, I would always appreciate a like or subscribe. It's the best way to let that algorithm know that the content matters, that it should be put in front of others. Well, I do thank you for letting me ask this of you, but I think it's about time we get into today's episode. Have you considered how fortunate we are these days from a career and business standpoint? I mean, the world that we're living in right now, this technology-driven world, is constantly changing. It's churning. It's putting out new products, new services, new opportunities to interact with one another, new software. You name it, and all of this creates opportunities for us as individuals to fit ourselves within it, to create new spaces, to communicate, to create new products that deliver different types of value. And to be honest, I got thinking about all of this. Through a conversation with this really great guest, his name is Daniel Pointer, and I'm going to introduce you to him really quickly here. He's a social entrepreneur who leads this Grocus community. More on what that means, and more on what a social entrepreneur does, if you're not entirely familiar with that term. But this conversation represents a lot in terms of the opportunities that are out there to target niche segments by offering really unique services. And as a spoiler alert, what Daniel does is he creates these courses. He creates these opportunities for people to find their curiosity, to rediscover it, to lead life with enthusiasm, which of course translates into business. It translates into entrepreneurship and allowing people to lead these fulfilling and successful lives. So yeah, this conversation is really, really interesting and also equally inspiring. Well, before getting into it. Too deeply, it probably makes a bit of sense here to introduce him to you a little more formally, and then we can launch into the discussion where all of this is going to come back around and make that much more sense to you. So, anyway, here's a little bit more about Daniel himself. Daniel Pointer is a social entrepreneur and founder of Crocus, a global online home for people who lead with curiosity and follow their enthusiasm. Danu has spent a lot of his life walking away from things that he's good at, but that weren't working for him. And sometimes it's speed. 
He's left many jobs, dropped out of many schools, and restarted his professional career many times because sometimes knowing what you don't want is more important than knowing what's next. But he did get tired and bored of going through that cycle and tired and bored of watching his friends struggle with the same things in their own ways and worlds. So he wanted to make something fun, affirming, and powerfully sustaining that all of us could run towards. And all of this led Daniel to start Grokist in 2022, though he didn't understand his big why at first. He just had two questions that he'd been asking himself over and over for years. One, why do some people manage to keep their curiosity intact as adults when the world is so designed to suffocate it? And two, what would it look like if we designed education that was about setting the soul on fire rather than passing tests? Well, it turns out that asking those questions aloud would lead Danu to some pretty interesting people and places, and still does. Despite never letting school interfere with his education, Danu has nevertheless accumulated a variety of degrees and other professional credentials. So with all of this noted, I'd like to welcome you to my conversation with Danu Poiner. Yeah, so welcome to the program, Danu. How are you doing today? Doing really well. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, we, uh, we organized this some time ago, so I've been really looking forward to this for, uh, for quite some time. So with that in mind, why don't we uh, get started here? I do have the first segment lined up. It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's a segment where I just read off a definition of what the guest does or something that relates to, to the work that they're involved in. And I have you down here for social entrepreneurship. And it is a bit of a wordy definition from Wikipedia, so bear with me here. I'll try to get through it without stumbling. And perhaps afterwards you can comment. Does that sound okay? Sure. All right, here we go. Social entrepreneurship. Social entrepreneurship is an approach by individuals, groups, startup companies, or entrepreneurs in which they develop, fund, and implement solutions to social, cultural, or environmental issues. This concept may be applied to a wide range of organizations which vary in size, aims, and beliefs. For-profit entrepreneurs typically measure performance using business metrics like profit, revenues, and increases in stock prices. Social entrepreneurs, however, are either nonprofits or they blend for-profit goals with generating a positive return to society. Therefore, they use different metrics. Social entrepreneurship typically attempts to further broaden social, cultural, and environmental goals often associated with the voluntary sector in areas such as poverty alleviation, healthcare, and community development. There it is, a mouthful indeed. First thoughts, what do you, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's always interesting to hear the definition put in that kind of detached way as it's it's both correct and also it doesn't kind of like quite capture the the feeling of actually doing it i guess the sense of being about blending commercial viability with um returns for for social uh, outcomes is very much on point i think the distinction the way i think about it is there are profit driven companies where it's really about you know delivering value to shareholders and then there are purpose driven companies which are also need to be commercially viable and have the structure of a company, but they are their reason for existing is to deliver on a social mission and they succeed or fail. 
to the extent that they deliver on that mission. And they usually have instruments or, or structures that, that guarantee and bake in that social purpose to make sure that that's uh, uh, prioritized and protected. Yeah, I like that insight there. And this might also be you know, an opportune time to learn more about what you do and, and, and the, the movement that you've created, I guess you could say, in the Grokist movement if you will. So perhaps you could explain a little bit about that and how that relates to this definition of social entrepreneurship. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity for that. I guess, you know, grokist is a word that I have coined to refer to a certain kind of person. And the people I call grokists are people whose deepest orientation to the world comes from curiosity and care. And it's actually not that easy to be that kind of person in the world we have because most aspects of life, what's valued is conformity over curiosity and tends to be instrumental outcomes over genuine care. So we end up, you know, like I have walking away from things a lot, being good at things, but not having a secure sense of professional purpose or feeling our background is all over the place and that we're a kind of beautiful mess that doesn't fit anywhere. <laughs> So I guess like many entrepreneurs, I'm trying to solve my own problems. And you look around and see that, uh, you look around at the world and see precisely that what's often missing is curiosity and care. So I guess I wanted to plant a flag for curiosity and care and say, this is what matters. This should be our starting point, at least. And if you're the kind of person who feels that on a kind of almost cellular level, then this can be your home. And it's a kind of a home where we help people make sense of themselves, connect more deeply with their curiosity and also with the practice that they care about most sincerely. So that's the social purpose. And honestly, I'm still figuring out what that means, but that, that's the starting point. Yeah. I know we're going to get into this later, but how do you go about doing that? How do you go about serving others who are similarly minded or experiencing similar you know, struggles, if you will? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. At the start, it's it was a question for me, is this a thing? Um, I spent the first little while, you know, is is this a community is, that wants to exist? Is there a conversation that wants to exist here? And actually, one of the primary ways I went about discovering that was doing my own podcast, which is still curious, where I talk to people who have their curiosity still intact and, and ask them about their lives and try and meet them as as people and understand their journeys. And doing that put me in touch with a lot of very interesting and unusual people from all walks of life. And there was a natural community that wanted to exist around it. So in terms of making it a tangible thing, uh, we started with education because this is probably the, the, the most immediately uh, resonant thing to me. It's the area of my life that I've spent most of my time in and which has been the site of most of my triumphs and traumas. I started with education for that reason and wanting to reimagine what education could be if we if we took a, a grokist starting point to it. Education to me is a special practice, which is about sharing wisdom in relationship, where as a learner, you get to have someone hold your hand while the world opens up for you and you light up while hurtling down new paths and possibilities. And as a teacher, you get the honor and the opportunity to lose yourself in something that transcends you. And so when I speak to people, everyone has 
one of these stories about life-changing learning experiences that light up the soul. And they're always about a special teacher or a mentor or, or some encounter with someone who said something to them or opened up the world in some way. They're almost never about classrooms or curriculum. Even if those things are involved, it's always about the relationship. So these stories are all really deeply personal and people get really emotional when they talk about them. But those stories also have a lot in common. And so implicitly to me, that means that we all know what life-changing education that lights up the soul looks like. But when we look around at what we call education, 99% of it is not that. So what would happen if we just got rid of all of the bits that weren't that <laughs> and focused on the bits that are? And that's that's the kind of starting point. What would it mean to design uh, an experience that was like that? So I've been partnering with people who uh, are interested in that goal, and we've been designing some courses to to try and deliver on that and find out what it means. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like an exciting journey. I mean, the deep purpose like that, I'm sure there's there's some challenges along the way in trying to like find a pathway through all of this and to find a way of, of putting it together so that it's, you know does deliver on it, its goals and, and, and you know actualizes itself. But all the same, I mean, like the reward that must be coming out of that when you are seeing some of the fruits of your labor come to fruition where you are helping people discover this or rediscover maybe maybe it's a better way of putting it rediscovering themselves because as you mentioned you know we have this sense of curiosity when we're young but invariably it sort of gets drowned out the older we get life just sort of like sucks it away so that's not to say that we can't find it again and it sounds like to me like part of what you're doing is is all about that it's it's about rediscovering it and it's it's, it's interesting as well when i was listening to you I was thinking how like we as humans, like there's different points in our lives where I think we maybe gravitate towards some of those things. We go back to it. Maybe there's a life moment that that pulls our curiosity back into the fold. And other times it gets tucked away once again. So mm. finding ways or at least acknowledging that this does occur and you know, understanding perhaps when we're, we're beginning to lose it would be helpful in a lot of different instances. You know, when we're looking for that next career, perhaps we want to have that, that sense of curiosity, we want to be open to new opportunities. You know, obviously, that's yeah. going to be a benefit to us. So yeah, I think that process of discovering it and certainly helping others would be a very valuable experience for you as well in setting it up, but probably a lot of challenge in there too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of unknowns, let's, let's put it that way. And especially when you start by not prefixing the outcomes and painting a, a bullseye on the target, then you you end up spending a lot of time figuring out, is this the right thing to do? Or is this the right thing to do? And how do I know? Because there's no benchmarks and there's no, you, you're really intuiting your way through a lot of it and running a lot of experiments, basically. But I, I just in response to, to what you said about rediscovering curiosity, I think that's really important. Uh, even, even though life does a great job of drowning it and suffocating it and burning it away. It's always there because I think people are like plants fundamentally. We, we want to grow and we just need the right conditions. And so many of us in our lives are at the point where we probably need repotting a little bit of water, a bit more sunshine, and probably most importantly, some better soil. And so it's about creating a space to have that conversation from that starting point. Yeah, I really like that metaphor. I think that brings it all together there. 
And perhaps to add even more clarity to all of this, we could slide into this other segment, A Day in the Life, and having a little bit more insight on what Agrocast is and does and, you know, what you're involved in. Perhaps you could, you know, add some clarity here in terms of your particular activities, like what you're doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week sort of basis here. Is there any sort of structure to that or is it kind of all over the place? (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. And I can't wait to find out what I'm going to say in response. (laughs) I guess for me, what I really wanted in doing my own thing was to have an environment where I have no two days that are the same in a row. I like, I'm someone who likes to do many, many different things. And I, I like to work at a level of big picture and I like to be really absorbed in detail. And I like to spend a while on this and then spend a while on that, and then be social and then lock myself away. And I really wanted to be able to do whatever the hell I want, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's a big driver for this. And so what I have now is the beautiful, terrible freedom of having exactly what I asked for, where there's a lot to be done and... I enjoy doing it, and there is a kind of structure uh, when you when you look at it. And it's it's been very interesting to to find out what those routines are when you're just completely left to your own devices. But to make it a bit more tangible for you, I, I orbit between doing a lot of correspondence and meeting a lot of people, especially one to one, creating stuff, so uh, writing articles, producing podcasts, making videos working with other people in a kind of coaching, consulting capacity to bring out the the tacit knowledge and experience that they have and try and find a structure for it and help people organize their thoughts and kind of productize some of that, I guess. And also doing a lot of tinkering on the website, just, you know, (laughs) changing this page, making this style sheet, uh, you know, very obscure technical stuff. And then admin and, and back office stuff sometimes and, and developing um, and then always looking for, for new people to be uh, involved. So, yeah, quite a mix of things. I don't know whether I answered your question. No, most definitely. Most definitely. And it's it's a theme that comes up over and over again on this podcast, at least. I mean, the people who have a, a degree of fulfillment in their lives and professional careers or businesses often are doing what you're just describing. They're, they're sinking themselves into several different things, I think. The uh, the danger is when it becomes mundane, you know, and everything is just been, being the same. Like that's that's the point at which you know people are starting to get a little bit frustrated in their careers or you know, whatever they're doing in their businesses. So I mean, it sounds to me like you found some sort of groove there. I'm sure there's challenges on some days or maybe a few days in a row, perhaps at times. But like overall, having that variety helps pull you out of some of those slumps. I, I would assume, at least, you know, I would think. Yeah, I, I think there's probably two two things I think I want to say to this. One is when you I'm I'm still quite early in this process. I'm about, you know, either 18 months or 35 years into it. <laughs> but uh, I'm at the still at the point where you spend a lot of time early on doing a lot of effort without a lot of reward. And you're looking for bits of signal and and trying to figure out what works and to speak the thing into existence. But you do spend long periods of time where you have no idea whether what you're doing is the right thing or whether you should be doing this or not. And so uncoupling the effort from the reward and being able to be resilient through that 
and and find your judgment and clarity in that is a really interesting process. So that's one thing. The other thing is I enjoyed one of your other episodes where you talked to the surfing entrepreneur and uh, and she said something interesting about balancing the freedom and the the all over the place schedule with taking time to just enjoy the inspiration behind what she was actually doing in the first place. And I think that's really important because I'm someone who really enjoys work. Uh, I get I find work meaningful and fulfilling and I like spending my time doing it. But I also like not work and I like to to put the tools down and to just be in the world and do other things. And part of the challenge of the beautiful, terrible freedom is knowing when <laughs> to how much time to spend doing that, because I can easily find myself in 14, 16 hour days just doing things. And it's not always the best thing. Sometimes you just want to go to the beach or or reflect. And sometimes you just want to do a three-hour day and then and then go see some friends and enjoy the freedom. And there's a there's a lot of psychological stuff that goes on with self-management to make sense of that. By and large, things get done, but it's taken me by surprise how much overhead there is that goes into that kind of self-management. It's just a thought I'd offer. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, I, I think, something that a lot of people grapple with is that is finding that balance. And I remember taking a, a course within a sociology degree and uh, it was a sociology of work. And I remember, I think maybe in the first lesson or so, I was speaking of the value of work and how important it is and, and, and whatnot in people's lives and the, the meaning that it delivers. I remember being struck by that thought because I think at least the way I've been brought up or I guess the, the culture, you know, being brought up within, it's it's all about like doing what you need to do to get that big salary so you have tons of free time. And the work itself is almost, for me, it felt like it was devalued in a way. It wasn't like you're doing it just to get that salary. You're doing it just to get your means of living. But the actual value in doing the work itself and the the what it can deliver for you as a person, that type of reward. I think it's a big part of it. And uh, I like that you you certainly brought that point into a, you know, your answer and what you were just speaking of right there. Uh, without wanting to take us too far off, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a really important point, the, the instrumental versus the intrinsic motivation for work. And I'm someone who's always been intrinsically motivated by, by work. Uh, I, I like to do a good job for the sake of the work itself. And that has actually caused me a lot of problems in my professional life before I was doing entrepreneurship, because the way everything is set up is assumes that you are working for instrumental reasons. And so there are things like I've had quite a few sales roles and they're commission based. And that's actually very demotivating for me, that structure and that that way of doing things. So, yeah, it's just a, it's nice to be able to just work intrinsically one of the things I like about this that I'm doing now. Well, maybe we can continue this discussion in another segment here, Dano, a pathway segment. And returning to you, you know, and part of your inspiration for this movement, Grokist and the community itself, originally came about through your own career sort of experiences and educational experiences. And there's a quote that you have embedded on your LinkedIn profile, which reads, never let school interfere with your education. Perhaps we could start there and hear a little bit more about that, you know, your own educational experiences and, and what you mean by that. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you for noticing the quote. It's a Mark Twain quote. And I, I believe that unlike a lot of quotes attributed to Mark Twain, this one actually is one of his. <laughs> 
but I think it um, it encapsulates for me the difference between the the true nature of a practice and the institutional apparatus that bears the same name but often is thwarting the the nature of the practice. So my experience has been as someone who always loved learning but didn't love school. I would get my report cards were either A's or F's, depending on how much uh, I was engaged with the material and and the teachers and the way that they ran things. But I was always deeply engaged in education from the beginning. I used to run an after-school course for my teachers at school on how to use computers because uh, I was really frustrated at at (laughs) how much they faffed around with the computers. But you know what? Let's Let's just go through it together. I can show you some things. I spent a while as a as a academic tutor once, and that was a, a pathway uh, I went on, and that was kind of where I started to discover that although I really loved teaching, and this was this was the the direction I wanted to go, and I wanted a career in education, the actual reality of being a career academic was going to drive me crazy because of the institutional priorities and the status of education in in academia is kind of an inconvenience on the side for in, in favor of doing research and making publications and things so you know there's a lot i could say about my experience with education but i guess what's important is it's a really personal thing for me it's a kind of torture because here in the world this this education system and universities and institutions are supposed to represent all the things that matter most to me and have the name of the thing that I care about. But my lived experience with them is like it's a tombstone to all of the things that it's supposed to represent. And unfortunately, it's a tombstone that takes up all of the space where that stuff is supposed to be happening. And so if you want to do the actual stuff, you really can't uh, avoid it and you get sucked into the orbit of that world. So I've had a very long, tortured process of experiencing the education world from a variety of different professional positions and perspectives and uh, just trying to figure out what my relationship to it should be. And in the end, I've just decided to do this off on the side in a kind of extra institutional space. I mean, at what point did you realize, you know, some of those struggles that you'd had, you were just describing, I suppose, when did you realize that you could maybe use your own experiences and difficulties there to help others who are going through perhaps similar you know, experiences or, or experiencing similar challenges? Yeah, thank you for that question. I guess a lot of it is talking to two, two types of people. One uh, is the people who are not in the academic system and who have, who are beautiful, talented, uh, capable, creative people who are intellectually curious and have a lot of depth, but they don't thrive in that in that system. I'm fortunate in that I've been able to navigate that system, but a lot of people don't have that experience. And they are the people I enjoy talking to much more than the people who are much more at home in that, in that system. Uh, and so I, I realized I could play a kind of translator role there. The other group is just talking to academics themselves. And, you know, I've, I've worked in higher education in jobs that have allowed me to 
work with a whole range of academics across a whole range of institutions all around the world. And I'm struck by how much they are victimized by the system that they work in. And any academic you talk to will complain for hours about the institutional structures while being there anyway, precisely because of, because of what I was saying before, which is this is the place where you are if you want to do this kind of thing. So you make the best of it and you are grateful for the opportunity and what it is, but also you do just spend a lot of your time <laughs> uh, being brutalized by the system. And so I realized that even if you know, no one is happy with the arrangements. So, so what can I do to see all of this with this kind of unique perspective that I have and then try and do something about it? You know, getting back to Grocus and the community itself, you have this concept in the, the website and it comes across loud and clear and this concept of a red thread. And maybe you could expand a little bit about what that means and, and what role that plays in, in terms of your roles and responsibilities and some of your goals with the Grocus community itself. Sure. Uh, thanks for that. So Red Thread, a bit like Grocus. Grocus is a, is a word that I've coined, but it's based on an existing word that has some currency in the language, which is grok. And that it's something that means, you know, a lot of things to a lot of people. Red thread is is one of those concepts as well that people kind of have heard it and they, they they have a sense of what it might mean, but I'm sort of building some structure on top of that. And it's the idea that there's a, a connection between all of the different things that you do. So careers are often the realm of the commodified self. They're usually boxes that you fit yourself to. And, uh, you know, if you're lucky, you can shape the box a little bit, but still a box. And so when people ask questions like, so what do you do? Then that's an invitation to put yourself in a box that they can understand. And then the conversation tends to be limited to the conception of that box that, the, that they have. So find your red thread idea starts from the opposite assumption, which is a place of anti-commodification of self. It's the, the idea that you are an unrepeatable person emerging moment by moment from the place where history meets biography. And you're led through your life with curiosity and care through a constellation of different experiences, all of which is helping you to develop the tacit knowledge and the lived experience that unfill from you today and which you have to share. And so what connects all of those experiences and how would you story that in a way that helps you make sense of yourself and then move forward with confidence? So it's about it's about that connection. What I like about it is I think it represents a lot of emotion, a lot of feeling, and in terms of each individual, what they're feeling in a moment, but they don't necessarily know it themselves perhaps, or they don't know how they've changed internally to, to, to kind of like fall mm. into some of the traps that we all sort of do at different points. And maybe that's the point at which we, we start to lose some of our, you know, natural curiosity, things that we were speaking of earlier. Now, in terms of like going about helping others discover or rediscover their, their own red threads, how do you go about doing these things? I know you have a course <laughs> on this, but like maybe you could provide some insights yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, so the the course is me putting together everything I have learned about doing this by having a lot of one-to-one -one conversations with people and trying to find a um, a loose structure for for how to do this. It's really about 
helping people, people are quite alienated from their own interests. And it's about reframing their own experience so that they can tap into their own interests. And so the way that we do that is through a lot of activities and discussion that enable that kind of reframing to, to, to find to find a language. So one very early activity is something I call a weird and wild list, which is where you list all the things that you would never put on a CV. It's your shadow CV. So if you know if the if the light in your inner child's eyes fades at the thought of updating your CV then it's probably a good opportunity to do a shadow CV. And what are all of the weird things that you've done, little six-month trips, the projects that you started that you never finished, all of the stuff that you think has no relation to anything, just put it all together and then let's see what does connect it because guaranteed there will be things that, that do connect it. So that's one kind of activity. Another thing is looking at your story and your threshold moments, the things where life really changed for you and whether you had a threshold guardian, whether it was a person or a, or a, an event or some external thing that forced or prompted a change, whether that was a good change or a bad change, and just looking into that and digging into it a little bit more. And some of it is about looking at layers of interests as well, because a lot of the time when we're at that level of, so what do you do? We're talking about activities and interests that are kind of like the end of the red thread, whereas our deeper self is more at the spool where the, where the, uh, where the most solid part of our interests are. So how do we trace back those activities and interests to a deeper, more enduring interest and even further back to a care that is driving you, which is what I call your most sincere practice. And it's about what name do you give to your most sincere practice? And if we can do that, then we're, then we're definitely on the right track. Hmm. How interesting. I mean, it's, it strikes me as so deeply introspective. And also in just listening to what you described it there, I mean, a lot of, like, I can certainly see the value, first off, of, of doing that. Because, like, oftentimes, Again, the way society is structured and layered, I mean, a lot of those experiences are, are pushed to the side, right? Like we're, we, we just focus on a title, you know, or this academic degree that we've achieved or attained. But we don't really give much thought to perhaps some of the, like you said, the projects that we'd started that never finished, or maybe some even failures along the way as well. We're not digging into those and finding out how those experiences or those interests at those times intersect or connect and ultimately define who we are and could add clarity to where we'd like to be going. You know, they're all sort of like hints along the way. At least this is what the way I'm sort of taking it, you know, in, in better understanding ourselves and perhaps setting ourselves up for, you know, a more fulfilling life, finding a more fulfilling career for ourselves, finding purpose and, and meaning in our lives. So I could imagine this being one, a really deeply rewarding experience for you in helping others find this. And also, I have this other question here. Again, I'm returning to this point of community as well, being a big part of what you do. Now, does community come into some of these activities or exercises, or is this kind of like just a one-on-one -on -one consulting that you're doing with individuals to help uncover these, these emotions? Yeah, a good question. Com community is really important to this, to the extent that about six months ago, I kind of made a, a reframe mentally from 
content with community around it to being putting community really at the center of things. Because what I find happens is just the act of getting a room full of people together who are graphists and talking about their weird and wild experiences and info dumping their passions and creating space to be their kind of shoes off selves in that, in that way, just creating that space and then me stepping out of it is itself incredibly powerful. Uh, and those, and, and there's something about finding a mirror in someone else who allows you to be a more accurate reflection of yourself almost. And, and creating those, those spaces has a, has a lot to do with a lot to do with self-discovery. So yeah, community very much, very much at the center of things. And we're looking at events that allow those kinds of moments to happen spontaneously in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I could see how that would help facilitate a lot of the discussions and, and learning through others and, and, and challenging oneself, I suppose, and hearing somebody else going all in on this and, and exposing some of their own failures, successes, all these different things it might spur somebody else on to, to do something similar as well, or at least to, to have the courage to do so. Because I could imagine this process being perhaps difficult at times for people to speak about or to share or to to really dive into and to really think deeply about. So, you know, having that encouragement from others would, would certainly go a long ways, I would assume. The most difficult part of it, actually, for me that I've learned is starting further back. Um, because once you get people into that space, it kind of takes care of itself. But there's a lot of work that you need to do to be able to create a, a psychological safety and emotional culture where people can open up in that way. And you have to really hold that space very, very carefully in an emotionally intelligent way over a long period of time at a distance. Uh, and so that's that's probably where the art is, I think. In terms of, I guess, this organization and, and what you've built and what you're doing, you know, certainly a lot of it, I'm getting the sense, is, is helping people get centered, you know, finding inspiring purpose within their own lives. There's a question here that kind of relates to to this program, to life as a, you know, oftentimes people are undecided about what they want to do. And, and a lot of times it's youth, it's younger people who just don't have that purpose and they don't know what it is just yet. You know, from your insights, what, what would you say is the cause for a lot of this? Why, why are people feeling so conflicted over these things? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I think, you know, one of the things that I like about the community that we're building is it's very intergenerational. And so we have a lot of, you know, older people with a lot of lived experience and a lot of you know, younger people who are just figuring out what they want to do and they like, I don't have a red thread. I haven't done anything yet. And <laughs> my career is already squiggly and I haven't even started. And when I listen to them, there's a sense of agency that's that's missing. They're very, very intelligent, very savvy about how the world works and not sure how to fit themselves into it and, and feel like maybe it's not designed for them. And the thing is, they're right. The, the, this is the, the, the crucial reframe is the problem's not with you. The problem is actually with the way that we've designed a lot of things. And so they kind of know that on, on some fundamental level, but then what do you do with that? That's a very, that's a very numbing feeling. So, so part of the, the power of community is just creating a space where you can have that conversation and 
and feel inspired and uh, make sense of yourself and, and move forward with with some confidence, at least knowing that you're not crazy. <laughs> yeah, again, I'm not sure if I actually answered the real question you asked, but uh... yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I, I can certainly appreciate that that idea or that notion of the system not being set up for people to really find their purpose, or or at least like when when I was listening to you speak there. I mean, kind of returns to this point of what I was speaking about earlier I mean, when I was in university taking the sociology course on work itself. And I think for a lot of people, like work is just a means to an end. The game, the way the game is set up here and the way society structures things is, you know, we, we, we get these jobs and we go for the jobs oftentimes where people are, are almost taught or encouraged to go for the jobs that are the highest paying that are going to deliver the most value to them so they can fit within society in, in, in the best possible way. They're going to set themselves up set themselves up for a future, family, all these different things. But what seems to be devalued at times, at least my perspective, is that the meaning and purpose behind the work itself and, and finding alignment for yourself there, that portion of it would seem to be kind of pushed to the wayside a little bit. I don't, I don't know. Is that something you would, you would think? Yeah, no, definitely. And that, that's the sort of sense of alienation that, that people have is – the people I talk to about work, what what most of the young people I speak to uh, want, they want love and they want meaning and they want to make a difference and they want to have their needs met and they want to bring other people along with them and take care of the people they care about. And that's not a, a you know, that's not a, a big list. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it sounds quite difficult to, to actually uh, imagine bringing that about. So th- there's, there's an example that's it. That's to the top of my mind, which is someone on, on my podcast was talking about a, a program they did in uh, responsible business management because it's like, well, business runs the world. And so how does it really work? And what are the principles and how, how can you do business for good? And he was saying that one of the outcomes of that program was it was so good that basically everyone who did it quit their job. <laughs> and then eventually the program had to be shut down and defunded because the employers were not interested in sending their people to it anymore. And so there's a kind of perverse outcome that happens. If you actually have the conversation that people want to have in the way that you want to have it, and you will know this with your sociology background, you cross a line where it's it's an out of bounds marker and so that's the space i'm playing in is taking all of that seriously but in a very extra institutional way let's just have the real conversations and see what happens well this last question here within this segment is about this idea of the work again that you're doing and returning to you i mean in terms of the reward that you're deriving from it and helping people find some of this purpose some of their meaning this meaning within their lives and getting centered you know, what, what has that been like for you? I feel more myself than I have in a really long time. I think that's probably the biggest reward. Uh, what, what, I, what do you mean by that? I've spent a lot of time masking my abilities and things that I care about. Anything from little things like the writing style that I use, not being scholarly enough or just trying to do a good job and be hospitable and care about people and not always put the profit of the bottom line first. Care about it, yes, but maybe not first. A lot of things like that. And I just don't have to do that masking anymore or apologize for showing up 
as the person I am. And I've been surprised by how much of that work I've had to do to, to get past my own default settings and rediscover who I really am. And, and that's been probably the biggest reward for me is when I turn up to one of our events that we run, that I don't facilitate that event and I don't have anything to do with it. I'm just there as a participant and I'm getting the rewards of being able to, to show up as myself and understand myself better and, and be in community in the space that I've created. That's very, very rewarding to me. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking the same thing as you were describing that. Like it, it, at some point, there must be this moment where you're deriving just as much value as, as what some of your clients or, or individuals that are going through your courses or programs are, you know, just by the nature of the Definitely. way it's structured and built. Yeah, yeah. How can it yeah, be? I need this space as much as, if not more than a lot of the other people who are there. <laughs> well, that's perfect. I think you've done a good job of setting it up that way then to, uh, to, to, to allow for that, to be helping others. But by, you know, by proxy, you're also sort of getting uh, some benefit from it all. So, yeah, excellent. All right, we are approaching this other point in the conversation, a water cooler story segment here. I just invite guests to indulge listeners with a story related to what they do. And I'm really keen to hear what you have for us today, Donna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been looking forward to this. And it's, it's actually an extremely recent story that happened last week because I just got back from New York. I live in New Zealand and uh, I went to New York to see the people that I have been working with online at a distance for, for 18 months or so, and to, to extend that relationship into uh, meet space <laughs> and, and hang out in person and, and figure out new ways of collaborating. And just a really, really joyful uh, experience where uh, we had a get together and I got to spend some a lot of time with my, with my main collaborator and deepen that relationship. But also we had a get together where some of the other people who are involved in facilitating came from Canada as a surprise and they'd organized it among themselves to be there at this event and and they all just turned up and my jaw was on the floor and they're all just connecting and I'm like wow this thing is real and uh, it's so meaningful and I just felt really humbled and overjoyed by that experience and with a fresh sense of responsibility to to take it forward and 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 make it succeed i guess and the other thing was it it confirmed to me as much as the in person aspect of that was really magical it confirmed to me how much is possible to do purely online because everything has been purely online it's really possible to have deep thick meaningful relationships online if you approach them in the right way and then when you do extend them into the personal space it's very natural and it takes about eight minutes to feel like you've known this person forever and that just brought home to me again the importance of all of the digital hospitality work that we put a lot of effort into yeah i can only imagine what one that experience must have been like the surprise of seeing these people and also the, the realization of, of just how much your work and what you've been building has been touching them and, and playing a role within their own lives and creating impact and then yeah that second point that you bring up there too is i think a really really powerful one as well because i think that's a big question you know for a lot of people is like you know these zoom conversations or zoom meets and whatnot how effective are they? How effective are they at building relationships, sustaining relationships, so on and so forth? But I mean, if that space is built in the right way, certainly, yeah, your story right there kind of illustrates the, the power that it 
can have if done correctly, if done well. So yeah, I like that. Well, we are rounding the bend into this last segment, a crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking to the future, trends, predictions, so on and so forth. But, you know, as this conversation has been focused on your organization and, you know, how it's evolved, what it's involved in, I'd, I'd be curious to hear about what your vision is for it moving forward. Yeah, there's a few ways of answering that. I, I think what I'm, what I'm hopeful for is that we, we just keep going in the direction that we go and we find out what it means to be a home for Grokus and, and just uh, discover what that actually means and what it looks like. And we make it bigger, but not too big. I think there's, a, there's probably a natural ceiling in it somewhere, and I don't know where that is exactly. Hopefully it's well above what you need to run a commercially <laughs> sustainable organization. I think so. So there's there's that journey, but there's also the the more ambitious journey, if I'm a, if I'm very honest, uh, about putting something like this into the world, having the power to reframe other conversations that are going on elsewhere. If we can get right the settings and the conditions that we're doing uh, in in relationship based education in this in, extra institutional space, there's no reason why those practices couldn't go back to the institutional space and and inform what others are doing elsewhere. And being able to change the conversation about some things in education would be a very meaningful outcome uh, to me. Yeah, I like that. I've got to say, Dan, we've just flown through this conversation. And to me, I often say this, I mean, it's always a mark of a good conversation itself is when you, you, you're just blowing through it all so so quickly and it feels like you're just beginning. So that's, that's kind of the impression that I'm getting, at least for myself here. And uh, I can't thank you enough for all the insights and, and everything you shared today. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity, uh, Christopher. It's been really good uh, to kind of externalize some of the stuff. We've been very just focused on building our own things. And yeah. There's still still early days and the rewards are still a little way away, but there has been a lot that we've done and it is working and it is meaningful. And it's it's through having a conversation like this that makes me feel very proud about, about what we're doing and how far we've got so far. So thank you. For those interested in learning more about Daniel and his work, you can do so via his website. He's also on Instagram and LinkedIn. And for reference, I will have links to all those platforms and sites in the show notes. And also too, if you like today's show, as I always say, please be sure to tell a friend and share. To show further support, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. And as I mentioned off the top, head on over to YouTube. I do have video highlights from the conversations that you can check out over there. And then finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.